This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. CBS presents America Changed Forever with CBS News correspondent Jeff Pegues. Welcome to this edition of America Changed Forever. We decided, and when I, I'm pausing because I'm thinking back, but when I say we, me and my producer of this program, Paul Woody Woodhull, we decided after the Buffalo shooting. I'm hurt. I don't want to see my baby no more. I'm hurt. All over a races. Come on, man. Come on. To, to dedicate this edition of America Changed Forever to gun violence, give people who represent the gun control side and gun rights side a chance to talk. What we did not expect was another shooting, another school shooting this time. I just want her back. I just want her back. I don't want to do none of this. I don't want to go to the funeral home. I don't want to... I don't want people's condolences. I don't want to do none of this. I just want my baby back. I just want my baby back, please. <laughs> I covered Newtown. When that happened, I was there in Connecticut. Now we have another school shooting. 21 dead, including 19 children. Two adults. Already you have reaction, obviously, from the President of the United States. As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? When in God's name we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? You also have reaction from other politicians and gun control advocates. You're not hearing that much, of course, from people like the NRA. But I wanted to start this program speaking with Igor Volsky, Executive Director of Guns Down America. We're going to give him the platform first to talk about his feelings in the wake of yet another school shooting in this country. You know, I was frustrated after covering the Buffalo shooting. Again, I, I think... Millions of people are heartbroken and fed up. Igor, what what is happening in this country? Well, Jeff, thanks for having me on. And I think what's happening is we've established a system that allows individuals to easily go out and purchase incredibly dangerous firearms that allow you to kill a whole lot of people in a short amount of time. And we have a political system that enables that kind of behavior time and time again. And until our leaders, those who promise us every single election year to fight for safer communities, actually have the backbone to spend political capital on fighting for our lives and changing that system, making it harder to obtain firearms, we'll see this kind of carnage over and over and over again. As a journalist who covers law enforcement, I can't count how many times I've had to cover one of these incidents. I can't count how many times someone in a position of leadership is promised that there would be some sort of change. I thought for sure after Newtown, something would change. 
but nothing has changed. You know, you, I, I looked at Guns Down America's website and you have your shock market, not stock market, but shock market. Um, tell us what that is and what it's meant to do. Well, the shock market, shockmarket.org, tracks in real time the gun deaths this nation has experienced since Joe Biden was elected president. And the numbers are fairly shocking to people. Uh, if you look at it now, and it changes almost in real time, we've had 59,584 gun deaths since Joe Biden, a candidate who promised to prioritize gun, gun violence prevention, was sworn in as president. We've had over 883 mass shootings since that time. And when Joe Biden addressed the country last night from the White House in a special primetime address to respond to the tragedy in Texas, he laid out no vision. He laid out no plan. He articulated no timetable. He pledged, in fact, to do nothing at all to help solve this crisis. And now we hear from the Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, that he also isn't planning on having a debate in the Senate, certainly not before the Memorial Day recess, where they go away for two weeks, and probably not before the midterm elections. So there you have it. The very same politicians who, when they need your vote, promise you the moon, when they actually have power and have the opportunity to do something, they absolutely refuse. And the saddest part, Jeff, is that if you look around, if you read the press coverage about this, there's almost no organized public demand for these politicians who currently have power to do anything. There's no expectation that they will do anything. There's just the res resignation that, oh, the NRA is just too powerful. And look at that stupid thing Ted Cruz said, and isn't he just an idiot? And look at all this money they took from the NRA. You know, I started my career in this issue by calling out Republican lawmakers for sending thoughts and prayers and doing nothing at all to deal with this crisis. And I can't believe that six years later, I'm calling out Democrats for sending thoughts and prayers and doing nothing with the power they have to help solve this crisis. According to the FBI, Active shooter incidents in 2021 surged by more than 50% from the year before. And it was nearly 90%, 97% to be exact higher than it was in 2017. That's according to the latest FBI statistics on active shooter incidents that were released this past week. So you, you have tough words for Democrats, but... Gun control legislation did pass the House. Yes. It stalled in the Senate. Yes. You know, I, I hear your frustration with the Biden administration, but perhaps they're looking for the right time to broach the subject and push legislation in the Senate. Okay. I'll, 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 I asked them to send me a calendar invite for the right time to really have this conversation. If it's not after 19 children are gunned down with two assault weapons, if it's not after almost, what is it, 60,000 Americans have died from guns under his watch, let's find the perfect time when there's no other distractions, no other issues going on to really sit down and try to make progress. I mean, that's just not the real world. And I'll tell you what, on almost any other issue, be it reproductive rights, be it climate, be it immigration, be it inflation, be it baby formula shortages, all critical issues, when they spike, when there's an inflection point, there's an expectation that Congress, people in power, right, actually do something to make it better. 
My point is there's almost no expectation on this issue. We all shrug and say, oh, that's just the way it is. That's the price of freedom, as the NRA likes to say. And in many ways, we've internalized that logic. That's the sadness of this moment. There are some people speaking up. For one Golden State Warriors uh, coach, Steve Kerr, um, whose father was killed in Beirut, uh, who often speaks out about gun violence in this country. He made a speech about it uh, prior to his game, playoff game in, in Dallas um, this week. We're going to listen to what he had to say coming up. But there are people speaking out. Um, they aren't politicians. They're encouraging politici politicians to do something. But, you know, something, as you note, has to change. Um, whether you are a supporter of the Second, Second Amendment or not, it was not intended for this. I, I can't imagine that the founders intended the Second Amendment for this. I'm wondering, Igor, what is it that brings you to this issue? Well, Jeff, I fell into this issue by accident uh, when in the aftermath of a shooting in 2015, I shamed Republican lawmakers on Twitter for sending thoughts and prayers and failing to do anything at all when they had the chance after the Newtown tragedy almost 10 years ago now. Um, and that really pushed me into this movement. It led me to establish Guns Down America, um, an organization that's you know taking a bolder approach pushing our lawmakers to do more, pushing corporations to really understand that they're on the front lines of our gun violence crisis as the Topps grocery store discovered yet again in Buffalo um, just a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, to me, I, I kind of fell backwards in it, into it. Uh, and I uh, am shocked uh, now so many years later to still be in a position where I am simply, I mean, practically begging at this point for politicians who promise to lead on this issue to do the bare minimum. I mean, President Biden, for all he talks about how much this is a concern for him, doesn't have a single senior level staffer in the White House for whom this is a, the only issue in their portfolio, not one, not one. And we've asked them, survivors have asked them, the movement has asked them to establish a White House office of gun violence prevention to really drive this issue, to signal to the country that this is a key priority for him and for his administration. And he's chosen not to do that. It's a choice he is making. It's the same choice that the Senator Schumer is making when he's choosing not to have a vote. They are making these choices because for some reason they believe that there's a political advantage to, after Americans are yet again reminded that they could be killed grocery shopping or they could their children could be killed in school, that apparently the best response is to simply try to do nothing. That is in some, in some three-dimensional political world that I don't understand is how they th is, is what they think is the right thing to do. And it's absolutely ludicrous to me. It's ludicrous to me that I'm in this position, that survivors of gun violence are in this position where they have to beg people to do something, anything, to try and save lives. It's insane. Weren't you moved by his speech in the hours after the shooting at the school? I mean, by Jeff, but why is, why is that the standard? Why is the standard for him to give a moving speech? Fine, he can give a moving speech. He, he knows 
how to uh, how to relate to people emotionally. He can tap into his own personal loss and connect with an audience. Yes, he is good at that. Wonderful. But an emotional speech is not going to prevent the next mass shooting. It's not going to prevent the everyday gun violence that communities all across this country live with. What will help prevent those things are actions from him, actions that he promised. The standard isn't, can he say nice, flowery things? Yes, he can. He's been in politics for decades. Yes, he's good at that. I, I agree. But we don't need him to just say things. We need him to do things. And the fact that there's, again, no demand either from the media or from advocates or from Democrats or from even his own voters that he would actually do anything besides say the right things to me is astonishing. It's absolutely astonishing. And I submit to you that on every other issue, he's held to a higher standard. If after the road decision was leaked, he simply gave a nice speech and the Senate didn't hold a vote, the vote that they held, and he didn't announce a series of things that he was going to do and the attorney general were going to do, he would get a whole boatload of criticism, and rightly so. But on this issue, the standard is, was I moved by the words that Joe Biden said? I don't need to be moved by his words. I need to be moved by his actions, because it's his actions that will build us a safer future with fewer guns, not his words. So you want him to take executive action on this issue? Yeah, I need him to establish a White House Office of Gun Violence Prevention so that he, is, he has an actual staff who can work on this issue. I need him to start working through the whole series of executive orders and actions that um, were given to him during his transition and just a couple months ago, um, right before he delivered the State of the Union, I need him and his vice president and his cabinet to crisscross the country talking to impacted communities about the, 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 the consequences of gun violence on their lives. And I need him to use his 30 plus years in the Senate and all those relationships with senators that he bragged to us about on the campaign trail to try and make a deal to get something done, to put up a very public fight to get legislation across the finish line. And yes, he might fail in that regard, but at least he would have tried. He would have shown voters that he's actually willing to fight for the promises that he made them. Again, that is the absolute bare minimum you should expect of any president. And the fact that this is somehow surprising to people, and I need to outline these very basic fundamental things, I think is a mere reflection of how we treat gun death and gun violence in this country as completely as acts of nature that we cannot prevent or do anything about. And that to me, in the, the, the fact that this is the case in 2022 is absolutely mind blowing. Well, I, I can almost predict how this is going to unfold. The media will do stories for a few days. They'll start. Uh, you won't see as many as we hit the weekend. And then next week, something else will happen. And then Americans will be distracted and, you know, back to the price of gas or inflation and what happened in Buffalo, what happened in Uvalde will be a distant memory. Well, but, and well, the politicians in Washington now move on to other things. You're going to start talking about the midterms. It doesn't have to be that way. That's not inevitable. If President Biden got in front of a microphone right this very moment and said, I am convening a meeting in the White House with key senators, stakeholders, and survivors, and we will not leave that room until we come up with a strategy for making progress on this issue. And then I, I mean, come on, you, you think he can't control this story if he wanted to? Igor, what you're outlining, this meeting at the White House, I, I think it happened with former President Trump. He had one of those after Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. You remember that? And people came and hugged and there were tears and nothing changed. 
Jeff, and after that meeting, there was a small window of ex- of of hope based on the comments that then-President Trump made that were, of course, quickly dashed when the NRA got to him. But my point here is that uh, President Biden is not President Trump. And President Biden, I believe, has some personal commitment that he's unwilling to actually engage with to drive this issue. I'm What I'm telling you is that President Biden, if he chooses, can drive this issue and can change and break this cycle that you speak of. He has the power to do that. He just has to do that in a sustained and committed way. Why is that such a crazy idea? I'm just forecasting what is really going on, what we can't see, what nobody is going to admit. This is an election year. This is, these are the midterms. You know, the Democrats want abortion to be a big issue because they want their base to be angered by what the Supreme Court is expected to do. You don't want to mess that up. And then you have President Biden, whose poll numbers, they're in the tank. He can't bite off a big issue like gun control. And then what happens if the Democrats lose control of Congress? Well, then they'll say it's going to get worse, Democratic voters or anybody who wants gun control, Igor Volsky. It's going to get worse. You think it's bad now? Imagine if Republic. That's what they're going to say. That's what they're thinking. Jeff, with all due respect, this is the kind of argument and the kind of conventional wisdom that has kept us from doing literally almost nothing on the federal level around this issue for decades. So yes, what you say could be the case, but what I say which is to try a different kind of tact and to maybe believe that actually campaigning on an issue that says, hey, us Democrats actually have a plan and a vision to make sure you don't get gunned down while you are shopping for your groceries and your children don't get killed in their classrooms our plan is X, Y, Z. The other guys just want to pump guns into your community and arm extremists with guns. Maybe, just maybe, that could be a winning message as well, especially if you look at polls. So, yes, you have a, there's two, two roads here, right? One is the one you outline of, let's just keep going like we're going and be concerned about the midterms coming up and and just not, not rock the boat too much on a tough issue like gun control. I'm proposing a different route, a route that actually shows voters that maybe government can do something for you. Maybe government can 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 do the, the, the basic of keeping you safe and secure. And maybe this is an issue that could finally be a winner for politicians if they actually lean into it in a smart and strategic way. And I just submit to you that in a country where you could die at any damn moment from a firearm, no matter how old you are, what race you are, what gender you are, what nationality, what political affiliation, that that could be framed in the right way, a smart political decision. Why don't we try? Why don't we at least try to, 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 to fight for the lives of our constituents? What do you propose, Igor, banning all guns, get rid of them all? I mean, is that the solution? All right, Jeff, come on. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not suggesting we get rid of all guns. What I'm suggesting is we simply do what there are multiple pieces of legislation in the House to do, uh, which uh, starts with expanding background checks, uh, goes into um, banning assault weapons and creating a regulatory structure for assault weapons that are already in circulation, ensuring that we invest in the communities closest to the pain of everyday gun violence to reduce uh, the kind of cyclical gun violence we see in so many of our cities. I'm suggesting that we repeal the liability shield that gun manufacturers currently enjoy. Look, it's not a question of what we do. We know exactly what to do to reduce uh, gun deaths. It's a question of do we actually have the courage to freaking fight for it? And right now the answer is no. So there is a common thread 
in a lot of these shootings. Again, I can't tell you how many times I've covered these shootings, and I can't tell you how many times I've seen law enforcement tell me that an AR-15 or an AR-15-style weapon was used in an active shooter situation or mass shooting. That's a common thread right there. That's a killing machine. And everybody knows it's a killing machine. It's not meant for hunting. It's meant for war. And yet, these killers are getting their hands on that weapon first. Because they know it will take scores of lives before police can even get there. It's remarkable. The firepower that is available to people. That's not a Second Amendment thing. They did an AR-15? Absolutely, right? These were, these were guns that the industry began marketing in mass uh, after uh, the Iraq War because Americans were enamored with the firepower they saw on television. They are guns that turn a high profit for the industry, which is why um, they have pushed them uh, so, so heavily. Um, and it's about making a buck. Uh, which is why they are um, in circulation and, 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 and they're used, as you point out, in mass shootings because they kill as many people as possible, as efficiently as possible. And by the way, none of this is a Second Amendment issue. None of it, none of the policies I outlined have Second Amendment implications, unless, of course, this conservative court, you know, reinterprets the Second Amendment. But as it stands today, uh, it's all consistent with the Second Amendment. Igor Volsky, Executive Director of Guns Down America. Thanks for your time. Steve Kerr is the coach of the Golden State Warriors, as I said, now in the NBA Finals. But this past week, his team was playing in the NBA's Western Conference Finals, and on Tuesday before the game against the Dallas Mavericks in Dallas, which is about 400 miles away from Uvalde, where the school shooting occurred, Kerr wasn't focused on basketball. He became emotional, angry, talking about yet another school shooting. I'm tired. I'm, I'm so tired of getting up here and offering condolences to, to the devastated families that are out there. I'm so tired of the, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm tired of the moments of silence. Enough. There's 50 senators right now who refuse to vote on H.R. 8 which is a background check rule that the House passed a couple of years ago. It's been sitting there for two years. And there's a reason they won't vote on it, to hold on to power. We can't get numb to this. We can't sit here and just read about it and go, well, let's have a moment of silence. You realize that 90% of Americans, regardless of political party, want background check, universal background check. 90% of us in Washington who refuse to even put it to a vote, despite what we, the American people, want. They won't vote on it because they want to hold on to their own power. John Lott, the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, who also worked at the Department of Justice and is a gun rights advocate, joins no, us. I'm not, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I know people call me that, but it, my views have changed a lot. I never I don't make Second Amendment type arguments about things. I try to look at the facts on these things, and it's the research that's changed my mind fairly dramatically over time. But I don't, uh, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people want to classify me like that. And uh, But, you know, I, I like to think I go where the data shows on this stuff. All right. Well, what, what is the data telling you after yet another mass shooting in this country? Well, I mean, uh, my heart's ripped out about this stuff. Uh, I mean, I've been studying uh, mass public shootings and mass public shootings in schools for 25 years. And, uh, you know, this attack yesterday, I think, uh, is fairly typical of a lot of these types of attacks. I mean, it's extremely typical. Uh, <clears throat> you probably had somebody who wanted to go and commit suicide, uh, but at some point along the line, people realize that uh, they could get a name for themselves and kind of people would know that they were here 
if they committed suicide by engaging in these types of attacks. And what they do is their goal, uh, if you read their diaries or other things that they leave behind, is to try to get as much media attention as they can. They, you know, you take the Sandy Hook killer. He explicitly hoped to go and kill more people than the Norway killer who had shot to death 67 people uh, because he thought that he would get even more national media attention. According to the police, he had spent two and a half years putting together a doctoral dissertation where uh, he had looked at mass public shootings over the previous 40 years and actually graphed out the relationship between the number of people killed and the amount of media coverage that he received. Um, I have no proof of this, but I think the reason why he went after the elementary school was just the shock value, and he thought that that would add even more publicity to what he was receiving. The one common factor with about 94% of these mass public shootings, and it was true yesterday, is that uh, they keep occurring in places where victims aren't able to go and defend themselves. Um, you know, you take the uh, the Buffalo shooter a couple weeks ago. If you read his manifesto, he talked about uh, what type of targets he wanted to go after. And he mentioned that particularly attractive targets were one where people would have either no or very few concealed handgun permits or were very unlikely to have it. There was an armed guard there, but what most people don't appreciate is that when you have a uniformed armed guard, and, and by the way, the Buffalo attacker had uh, had cased the store and he knew where the guard would be and everything, uh, they have an almost impossible job. Uh, if an attack is to occur there, these attackers have huge tactical advantages uh, in choosing the time and the place and who to go after first. And if you only have one person there who's in uniform and very easily identified as being the one person with the gun, who do you think they go after first? Because they know if they take that one person out, then they're going to have free reign uh, at other places. And, you know, the thing is, if you allowed people to be able to have concealed carry, you take away that strategic advantage that the killer has. That's ridiculous. All right, so you're you're advocating for more armed people in that Buffalo grocery store. So you you think that if they had been armed and all of them were shooting at the gunmen, this would have been averted. What I'll tell you is, so we have 20 states right now. Texas has 30%, over 30% of the public schools in the state allow teachers and staff to carry, have teachers and staff carry. I've looked at all the school fire, guns fired at schools from 2000 through 2020, and you cannot find one of those thousands of schools that allow teachers and staff to carry and actually have them carry where there's been an attack. Let, let alone somebody be injured or killed and any type of, you know, attack against one person or two or one of these mass public shootings that are there. All right. So in this environment, you're advocating that more people carry guns. That's your answer to stopping a school shooting. I think it's an answer to making sure it never even occurs to begin with. How, how, about, how about you take the AR-15 out of that kid's hands? Well, you know, uh, about 85% of handguns in the United States are semi-automatic, about the similar percentage of rifles. Yeah, but they're, they're using, and I've covered enough of these things to know, they're using these killers who carry out these active shootings. They often use AR-15 style weapons. Why? Because they know that it is an efficient killer. It is a killing machine. You take that out of their hands and police would have a chance. The kids in that classroom would have a chance. The teachers would have a chance. But that thing kills at such a high rate. Okay, you're completely misinformed. Misinformed? When was the last time you went to the scene of a school shooting? I've been to some. Some? Which ones? I've been to like the Appalachian Law School uh, shooting. I've been to... 
multiple places afterwards and talk to people about those types of things. So you talk to people at those shootings about arming themselves and this wouldn't happen. That's what you go there for? I've talked to them to try. Look, I've I've probably talked to more people at mass public shootings than you've dreamed of talking to. Are you? Do you know what I? You obviously don't know what I do. Okay. Well. Well, you say you you talk about data and facts. Give me some facts. Okay. First of all, most of the mass public shootings involve handguns. Secondly, the AR-15 that you're you're mentioning there functions no differently than any other semi-automatic rifle, any semi-automatic hunting rifle. It fires bullets at the same rapidity, doing the same damage as a small caliber hunting rifle. While that may be true, for some reason, these killers are choosing the same weapon. Well, if you read, for example, the buff, that's first of all, that's not true. As I say, most of the attacks involve handguns, all right? And if you read the Buffalo Mass Public Shooters Manifesto, the reason why he picked an AR-15, which, by the way, was New York State compliant uh, in terms of its assault weapons ban, the reason why he picked that was because he knew that it would upset people the most, and not for any other reason in terms of it being a better weapon. And he talked about the fact that his attack would lead to more calls for gun control because he was using that weapon. All right, so you're using his manifesto as justification why there shouldn't be more gun control. Oh, I, what, what, well, it, he talks explicitly about going after gun, a place where the victims wouldn't be able to go and defend themselves. He talks about finding a place where people would have either no or very unlikely to have a concealed carry permit. That's the reason why he went into New York and did it, and why he went up to an urban area like Buffalo rather than where he lived in the Binghamton area. And you see this time after time, these killers often mention trying to find places where they know victims are not going to be able to defend themselves. That's, you're, you're saying arm the teachers. There should have been more guns in that Buffalo supermarket. I, I think it would have been nice if there was one or two people that had a concealed carry permit. Not everybody. Nobody's arguing that everybody should go and carry a gun. But look, since 1950, 94% of the mass public, successful mass public shootings in the United States have taken place in, in areas where guns were banned. And I can give you dozens of cases. They don't get national news coverage. But dozens of cases in the last few years where people with permanent concealed handguns have stopped what police said otherwise would have been a mass public shooting. You know, I'll give you some prominent examples. Okay, Uh, you know, obviously, you know, about the Parkland case. Do you know that a few months after that, there was an elementary school get together uh, at a park? Uh, A man came up, hundreds of students, parents and teachers, man came up, started firing his gun. Fortunately, a vendor who was there at the park had a permanent concealed handgun and was able to seriously wound the attacker. You know how much national news coverage that got? Zero. You know uh, the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando? Okay. One week later, there was a similar attack at a nightclub in South Carolina. The guy had shot three people, was shooting at a fourth person when a permit holder seriously wounded him and stopped the attack. He still had over 100 rounds on him. You know, you know how much coverage that got nationally? Zero. You would think people were very conscious of the Parkland shooting. Here's one in Florida very close by that was stopped without anybody being hurt other than the attacker. You would think you had massive news coverage on the Pulse nightclub one. That was, at the time, uh, by far the most deadly mass public shooting in the United States. You would think, here you have another nightclub. You know the difference between Florida and South Carolina? Florida is one of 10 states that ban people for carrying permanent concealed handguns in in places where they got more than half of their revenue from alcohol. South Carolina was one of 40 states that allowed it. All right, so... So what you're saying is that they should have been armed in that synagogue in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think so. 
than it would have been like the uh, Fort Worth church shooting, where the guy uh, was quickly stopped. You had like eight parishioners in there who had a concealed carry permit, and 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 two of them uh, quickly pulled out their guns, and one of them uh, fatally shot the attacker. All right, so at the outset of this interview, you said that you don't like to be characterized as a gun rights advocate. You sound very much like a gun rights advocate to me. I have not made one constitutional argument. I don't do that type of thing. I don't say people have a right to do these things. My arguments are solely based on safety type uh, evidence that I've looked at. And if you looked at my writing over the last 25 years or so, uh, you would see how much my views have changed over time based on studies that have been done. Isn't Texas a concealed carry state? It is, but it banned people being able to carry, including teachers and staff, in this school. All right. So this week, the FBI released statistics showing that active shooter incidents increased more than 50% last year across the country. Now, California, and that will surprise people, had the most reported incidents. Six. Followed by five each in Georgia and Texas. Four each in Colorado and Florida. So you're still seeing a lot of active shooter incidents in Texas. The fact that people are armed. And there are a lot of people walking around with guns in Texas. It, it hasn't deterred anybody, according to the statistics. I mean, you used to work for the, the Justice Department. I, and, and I worked on that particular area when I was in the Department of Justice. OK, uh, so let me make a couple comments on that. First of all, um, uh, the number you're saying doesn't tell you anything about where the attacks occurred. You know, uh, the the point that I was making is that. 94% of the successful mass public shootings occur in places where guns are banned. And just so you know what active shooting means, active shootings, probably the, large, the largest single category, part of active shooting cases, are guns fired in public with no one hit, with no woundings, no killings, okay? And you should also know how they put these things together. There's no systematic data on this. Uh, and there are real problems with it. Uh, I went through, uh, showed that they had missed a lot of evidence on their thing. I've worked in the federal government in both uh, the 1980s. I was chief economist for the United States Sentencing Commission. And I worked more recently as senior advisor for research and statistics for both the Office of Justice Programs and the Office of Legal Policy uh, in Washington. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, the main point, just to keep it clear, is that you're talking about cases where guns fire, nobody's necessarily hit, okay? Most of the rest of the cases... Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. All right, so according to how the FBI defines an active shooter incident, they're talking about incidents that span 30 states last year, killing 103 people and wounding 140 others. The casualties listed in that report do not include the shooters. Right, okay, and I'm talking about what's the typical case. You're, first of all, you mentioned number of cases. And I'm just saying, when you deal with the number of cases that are there, you have to realize what's the majority of those types of cases. Well, they're, they're no, 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 wait a second. They're probably not even including the cases that you're talking about. They include cases where the guns fired in public, nobody's killed. They include cases where one person's wounded. They include cases where two people are wounded, you know, all the way up to a mass public shooting where you have four or more people murdered. Okay. But the question is, so do you have a few big ones? Yeah, you have some big ones that are there and that's horrible. A few big ones? When you were saying, look, you have so many in Texas, so many in these other states, my point was you don't know if they occurred in a place where guns were banned and only the cr criminals were taking the guns in there. And I'm happy to share with you an Excel file. It's up on our website at crimeresearch.org. All right, John. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you.
Here's Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy in a speech on the Senate floor after the shooting in Texas. Why are we here? If not to try to make sure that fewer schools and fewer communities go through what Sandy Hook has gone through, what Uvalde is going through. Our heart is breaking for these families. Every ounce of love and thoughts and prayers we can send, we are sending. But I'm here on this floor to beg, to literally get down on my hands and knees and beg my colleagues, find a path forward here. By doing something, we at least stop sending this quiet message of endorsement to these killers whose brains are breaking, who see the highest levels of government doing nothing, shooting after shooting. What are we doing? Why are we here? What are we doing? Here's more from Connecticut Senator Christopher Murphy after a speech on the floor of the Senate. He is speaking to reporters in the halls of the Capitol building. You know, guns flow in this country like water, and that's why we have mass shooting after mass shooting. And, and you know, spare me the bullshit about mental illness. We don't have any more mental illness than any other country in the world. You cannot explain this through a prism of mental illness because we don't, we're not an outlier on mental illness. We're an outlier when it comes to access to firearms and the ability of criminals and very sick people to get their hands on firearms. That's what makes America different. Congressman Mike Thompson represents the 5th District of California, which is in the Bay Area. He is also the chair of the Gun Violence Prevention Task Force in the House. Congressman, could you give me your thoughts after this latest mass shooting? Well, it's a terrible time. I'm, I'm heartbreaking, broken. I'm, uh, I'm sad. Uh, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. Uh, these, you know, these little kids just murdered, senselessly murdered. And Congress has had an opportunity to do something uh, to respond to this terrible gun violence. And, uh, and sadly, there are 50 Republican senators uh, in the U.S. Senate who are stopping anything from being done. We need, we need to change this. Are Democrats, is the Biden administration doing enough? I think the Biden administration is doing all that it can. Uh, the Biden administration has nominated a new director of the uh, ATF, the organization that uh, heads up uh, this sort of thing. Uh, the Senate today is uh, voting on that confirmation. Uh, President Biden uh, came out with strong regulations about uh, ghost guns, something that is a huge problem everywhere in the country. I know it's a problem in, in my district. And, uh, and uh, President Biden has uh, spoken out uh, very forcefully asking for the Senate to pass my bill that would require background checks before someone can buy a gun. So he's, he's doing his work. The problem is uh, we, we, you know, we've got this bill over in the Senate and we've got the votes to pass it, but we don't have enough senators uh, to allow it to come up for a vote. They need, you know, they need 60 senators to bring a bill up over there for a vote. And uh, we've got the 50 Democrats are good to go. But uh, amongst the 50 Republican senators, they can't find 10 with the courage to address this issue. It's very sad. Congressman, what kind of legislation, in your view, would address what occurred at the school and what occurred in Buffalo? Well, I, you know, I don't know all of the particulars. We're still waiting. Nobody knows all the particulars yet about what happened in Texas. But uh, there, there's no one bill that can solve all of these. Uh, we need to pass common sense uh, gun uh, laws that will help protect individuals and help our, uh, keep our communities safe. Background checks is certainly one of those bills. On the on week of June the 6th, the House is going to take up a couple of other bills, uh, a safe storage of firearms bill, uh, a red flag bill. So if someone uh, is uh, showing signs of, uh, of dangerous behavior, uh, we, can, uh, we can intercede and, and make sure that there's not a... Uh, uh, gun violence uh, situation that comes out of that, and uh, th those will all be helpful. This afternoon in the state of Texas, the governor of Texas says that perhaps we need to take a closer look at laws that 
deal with mental health. Do you agree with that? Well, I think we always have to take a look at uh, how we can improve the mental health situation. But uh, that's not uh, that, that, that's not uh, that, that's that's a cop out. That, that's a cowardly cop out from uh, Governor Abbott. What Governor Abbott ought to do, number one, is recognize we don't have any more um, or less mental uh, health issues in the United States of America as anyone else. Uh, yet we lead the pack in regard to gun violence. So instead of looking for a cop out, what Governor Abbott ought to do is is uh, work to make the uh, people in Texas uh, uh, safer and make uh, communities in Texas safer and make schools in Texas safer rather than try and kowtow uh, to the inside the Beltway uh, gun lobby. Did you happen to see the president's speech in the hours after the shooting? What did you think? I, I didn't see the speech. I, I, uh, I heard some excerpts of it. I thought it was powerful. I thought it was heartfelt, and I thought it showed both the frustration uh, and the anger that most reasonable Americans have uh, as a result of what happened yesterday. What do you tell your constituents about all of these mass shootings? Well, my constituents know that I've been working on this. You know, I, I had the background check bill ever since uh, the tragedy at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Uh, they know where the problems are. They know it's the uh, Republicans in the Senate right now that are the obstacle. And, you know, I, I had that I had the background check bill for seven years in the House uh, during Republican control. They wouldn't even allow a hearing on the bill. So the only place that background checks is a partisan issue is in the Congress of the United States of America. Over 90 percent of Americans believe that we should have stricter background check laws. And yet in Congress, it's a partisan issue. It's nonsense. It needs to stop. Every voter in the United States needs to speak up. They need to be loud and proud. Tell their members of Congress, tell their U.S. senators to, uh, to, to ratchet up the courage necessary to do what is necessary uh, to keep our communities safe. Congressman Mike Thompson, thank you. Thank you very much. Before we go, the NRA did release a statement. Perhaps you've heard by now, but it is having its convention in Houston, which is about 275 miles away from where the school shooting occurred. The gun rights lobbying group said that, quote, it is committed to making our schools safe, and it called the shooter a lone deranged criminal. That is America Change Forever for this week, a week that saw another school shooting, another mass shooting. Thanks to Paul Woody Woodhull in District Productive. You can check your local listings to see when ACF airs in your community. For now, I'm Jeff Begays, and that is how America Change Forever. All right, promos. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds, but none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.